Last week, we had a fill in the blank that said that Jesus was no ordinary man. I want to build upon that this week with a couple thoughts. Last week, we talked about him being a world changer, the, the logos or the word of God that was to bring about the new reality. Uh, this week, we want to talk a little bit about God breaking in and saying that everything is about to change. What we really are faced with is three visitations from angels, three prophecies, and two special babies being born. The way that it's announced isn't normal. The message that is announced isn't normal. And therefore, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Jesus wasn't going to do ordinary things. Jesus wasn't going to do ordinary things. Jesus was no ordinary man. And he was not going to do ordinary things. We need to jump right into the message because of our limited time. And there's so much material to cover. So I only think I'm going to have you for about two, three hours. So we're going to go ahead and just try to hit it and make it through as fast as we possibly can. Uh, we begin like this. In the days of Herod. Herod who? Herod the Great. In the days of Herod the Great, king of the Jewish region of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And that name Zechariah means that Jehovah has remembered. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. All right, so let's let's get a little history recap. I kind of lay down a foundation here. And it, and it goes like this. When God started the Jewish people, it came from a man by the name of Abraham. I, I don't think that's new information to most of us. So it goes Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob. Jacob is kind of where our story begins. He had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of of Israel. Why? Because Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It's not rocket science. It's all kind of laid out there for you. Twelve sons. One of them was named Levi. So when you went after him, all of his family lineage were known as the Levites. Eventually, uh, a family comes from the Levite people that we become familiar with because it's Moses, his brother Aaron, and his sister Miriam. We all remember them? All right, so that's Prince of Egypt guy. He's the whole parting of the Red Sea, burning bush guy. His brother Aaron was selected out by God to be a priest. What does a priest really mean? A priest means that he's an intermediary between man and God. So what he does is communicate the prayers and the petitions of the people to God and communicates the will of God down to the people. So Aaron was selected out that only his lineage, only his family line, not even Moses, only his family line were allowed to be priests. But God had already said that all the Levites, anyone that descends from the tribe of Levi, they all get to be special and minister before God. So what's the difference? Well, it's simply like this. All Levites handled God's stuff, but only a tiny little strand of Aaron's descendants get to engage with God directly. 
So you're either a priest or you're a priest helper. Now you have to imagine that as this nation grows and grows and grows, we're now uh, thousands of years later in the day of Jesus. By this time, this people group is so massive that that little splinter, that little thin line of Aaron now has approximately 20,000 priests in it. So if you have 20,000 priests, you can't have everyone come to work at the same day. There's no way you're going to fit them all in. So what do you do? Well, in the day of King David, he divided them out into 24 groups. And basically you had your little crew. And that crew would serve at a given time. And they would rotate around. The way that it worked was that you got a chance to do a job two times a year if your crew was on. So every six months, your group got to do something, but you didn't know what. Now, there were only three times a year when all the priests worked. And that was the big national festivals. Pentecost. Passover, the Feast of Booths, then they were all at work. But in general, you kind of waited in the wings for your team's number to be called. This priest, Zechariah, was the eighth group of 24. What this means is, is that when your team comes up, they then cast lots, which is drawing straws. They're trying to take it away from people's decision put it into the hands of God. You draw straws to figure out what your job is. There were cooler jobs and less cool jobs. All right. So you were hoping that you would draw that one straw and you'd have a cool job. This is where it all begins. Now there were other rules for priests. They didn't get a chance to live like everyone else. You were born a priest. You didn't get to pick it. You don't get to go, I'm going to go to priest school. You didn't get a chance to say, I wonder what I'm going to be when I grow up. I think I'm going to be a priest. You were either born it or not. Now you can imagine if everyone is born into the priesthood, how many bad priests showed up. That's why we ended up having a trouble a little later on in the nation right away. Priests had certain jobs and things they could do and couldn't do. One of the things they had to do is they had to marry a good Jewish girl. That was actually a law. They were not allowed to marry outside because they're trying to keep the lineage pure Jewish. You can't marry any woman that is half Jew or not Jewish at all. Now, if you wanted extra credit, you could marry a priestly line girl. Then you're like super priesty. You know what I mean? Because then your family is like priest plus priest is super priesty. And so then everybody in the household is super priesty, right? Now, This is what happened here. Let's look at it again. It says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. One rabbinic writing said this, there are seven groups of people in the world that are clearly cursed and excommunicated from God. One of those was a man without a Jewish wife. The second was a man who had a Jewish wife that could not have children. You were clearly cursed by God. Not being able to have children was grounds for divorce. 
So if the priest or any man could not have lineage through his wife, they considered her broken and he could walk away. Now, God didn't say that was okay. That's where they got in on it. But you have to understand the weight and impact of not being able to have children in that day. Any of you that have wrestled with infertility, you already know all the weight upon your shoulders. You already know all the hurt and the pain that goes with it. Now, place all of that into a culture that considers you cursed by God. What I think is most fascinating about this fact is that they did everything right. Let's read their description again. They were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And their life still didn't go right. How many of us play this game in our mind? God, I shouldn't have to go through anything difficult. I did what you told me to do. I have gone through all the right things. I'm the righteous one. I'm the good guy. I'm the good girl. I always did what you said. And now everything blew up in my face. Clearly you must hate me. Right here. Defined by God, they did everything right. You know what? As a matter of fact, Job was marked out as a guy who did everything right. And we can go on and on down the list. What is the deal of her wrestling with this particular problem? They're already older in their lives, so they're not going to have any kids. That time has passed. She's already accepted her lot in life. But remember, the end of your rope is not the end of God's rope. He has a whole other rope that you don't even know about. Is she the only one that has wrestled with infertility, barrenness? No. Interestingly enough... Abraham's wife, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah, they're all barren, and yet they all ended up having children. What Luke is trying to highlight is that just as Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, had a barren wife, so did this guy have a barren wife. Why is he tying the two together? Because God is orchestrating out... Abraham was given a promise. The promise was through the Jewish people, all nations on earth will be blessed. It's all being fulfilled right here. We move on. It says this. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, verse eight, when his division, his little team was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot drawing straws to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Here's what this means. You would normally just blow past it. I need you to understand the gravity of what's going on. Here's how it works. When you got to pick cool jobs, the jobs that were closer to God were coveted, were the, oh, I can't believe I got that one. That's awesome, right? Now, remember, your group only got to work twice a year, and then whatever your job was may or may not have been a big deal. They burned incense every day, but only one guy got to do it at a time. They would burn before the morning sacrifice and after the evening sacrifice. Why would they do that? Because when they burned sacrifices, that was an offering to God saying, God, forgive us of our sins and may you be praised. The way that that would go up to God was to burn it and it would rise. But they always wanted to package it with worship. Incense was a sign of worship. 
So whenever an offering was made, worship was made along with it, and it would package the whole thing and rise up to God, all right? Now, here's how it works, the the temple area. If you walk into a temple, there's a general out courtyard that everyone can go to. It was called the courtyard of the Gentiles or the non-Jews. You can go pretty far away, right? You have to remember, the temple that was built by Herod was almost 20 stories tall. It's a massive structure. You can be way out here if you're not a Jew. Now, if you're a Jew, you can go closer. You scoot into an inner courtyard, and then there's another wall that kind of blocks you off. If you are a priest, you can go into the priest area. That's even closer. Now, you get to go inside the curtain in the area called the holy place if you get selected. Inside that holy place are a couple things. An incense altar, a light stand, and bread. All right? So there's some things in there that you need to work with that the priests would change out the bread. They would light the incense. Then there was a big curtain. Behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God called the Holy of Holies. Only one guy, the high priest, the big dog of all the dogs, got to go in one time a year. So you don't just walk in and out of this place. This was the coveted coolest location. Right in front of that curtain to the Holy of Holies stood the altar of incense. Zechariah got picked to do that. You get to go in and stand right at the threshold of the very presence of God. This is where we move on. It says this, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside. Why? Because he was their representative for the whole nation. He was lighting the incense for that day. The way it works is you go in, you light your incense, don't take a long time, come back out all the way out of the priest's courtyard, go out to the people of Israel and give them a blessing. So everyone's waiting because they've been praying for you. God, hear his prayer. God, forgive us as a nation. God, restore us. God, bring about your Messiah. All these prayers were being given and they're waiting for him to come out. Talk about being a little nervous. Don't drop your bowl. Don't mess up, right? They're all waiting for him. And then it says this, verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That will make you wet your undergarments. You know what I'm talking about? Who in the world is this guy? I thought I was walking in. I was the only one. And now there's big shining guy standing there. I am going to freak out. Okay. And there was an angel of the Lord standing at the right side, the power side of the altar of incense right next to where he's supposed to work. I don't want to get closer. I don't want to do anything. You just wait and hang out. Right. So what's this going to be? Zechariah was troubled. When he saw him, yeah, you think so? And fear fell upon him. That's how it works when an angel shows up. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Let's pause right there. What prayer is he supposed to be offering? He's probably offering all the national prayers. Hey, Lord, I'm here on behalf of the nation. I really need you to rescue us. I need you to deliver us. We hate Rome and they're in charge of us and blah, 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 blah. Your prayer has been heard. Is there going to be an announcement of the Messiah? Yeah, kind of. But what does he say next? Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. 
and you will call his name John. Whoa, what prayer is that? Oh, that's right. The prayer he's been offering for his wife because she's been crushed in her heart, their whole marriage. Real quick, let's apply this to our lives. Gentlemen, listen to me very closely. You are the head of your household spiritually. That means you pray for your family. You pray for your wife. You pray for your kids. Jacob prayed for Rebecca and his prayers were answered for her. Zechariah prayed for Elizabeth and his prayers were answered for her. Job prayed for his kids and God answered his prayers. Gentlemen, you are on. Well, you know what, Lance? I don't really understand this whole Christianity thing. Besides, my wife kind of has things put together. I don't really know where I stand on all this. No, we're all clear that she's smarter than you. We are very clear she's more spiritual than you. What I'm telling you is that doesn't let you off the hook. Yet is your role. God's not going to switch it up just because you're a bonehead. He is going to keep the roles where the roles are, which means your job is to intercede for your family. And it makes a difference. I don't do a lot of the on-hands parenting in our house. My wife does that and tells me to scoot over so she can do that. You know what I'm saying? She's very hands-on with the kids. She's brilliant at it. She's an incredible mom. I don't mess with her style of parenting very often. I know who the expert is in the house. So how do I parent? I parent by prayer, backup. I pray in direction and instruction of my kids. I pray by loving them and caring for them. I pray about constantly investing into them. But I parent by prayer. Our job, gentlemen, is to pray for our wives and our kids. And let's say you don't know how to pray very well. Join the rest of us. Here's the deal. If you're praying at all, you can be as awkward as you want. I would personally suggest removing most of the profanity. But if you need to pray and you don't know how to pray, just talk to God. That's it. It doesn't have to be fancy. It moves on. It says this. Your wife will bear you a son and you will call his name John. Jehohanan. That's the long version of John. It means Jehovah's gift or God is gracious. A couple things that are fascinating right about this is she's going to bear a son, not just a kid. Now you go, come on, we like girls too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not back then. Here's how it would work. If you are going to have kids, if you're going to have a baby and you're wealthy, you hired a band. All right. Now, ladies, if you're in labor, you certainly don't want a band in the room, but whatever. They're there. And the minute the baby is born, they're supposed to help you celebrate. So you can imagine little baby boy comes out and they go, da, 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 right. They're all excited. Yeah. If a little girl comes out, they go and they just walk. (laughs) The band leaves. That's how terrible the whole view of men and women was in that society. She's going to have a son. That's a big deal. His name will be John speaking about the graciousness of God. But here was the big eye opening moment for me. John's dad was a priest. John's mom was from a priestly line. Guess what John's supposed to do for his whole life? Be a priest. Was John the Baptist a priest? Oh, no. Not at all. As a matter of fact, John had a few things to say to the religious establishment. 
But know this, he was a priest by birth, but boy, he didn't function like one. He functioned quite different as a prophet. It says this, And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. What does that mean? It's called a Nazarite vow. It's where you set aside like a fast. You set aside that child or that person or that man and men can select it for themselves or their parents very rarely will select it for him. He was a Nazarite from birth specifically marked out from God. Total abstinence of alcohol in that day was unheard of. Why? That's how you drank any liquids without getting bugs in your system. The water was not awesome. So that process clarified and cleaned up the water and allowed you to continue to move on. So the whole idea of total abstinence was vow specific. So we told him, keep it away from him. He's special. Totally different kind of kid. We also know that a couple other lifelong Nazarites were who? Samson, Samuel. There's some connections to John the Baptist and Samuel. We don't have time to get into it, but think about that one for a moment. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. What kind of kid is filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb? We got to go Old Testament Holy Spirit. New Testament Holy Spirit operated a little different. Remember, it was the Holy Spirit that came upon Samson to push the pillars down. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon Jephthah to win the war. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon Gideon. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon Saul and caused him to prophesy. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon David that allowed him to kill a giant. We're talking about super mega God power and it's going to come upon a kid in utero. Why in the world do you need superpower? When you're in the womb, what in the world are you going to do in there? Pretty much. You just sit there like this. That's it. That's kind of all you do, right? Why do you need the Holy spirit for that? Ah, we'll find out. Watch this. By the way, that didn't play well on radio. I don't really know what he just did there. Okay. We move on. (laughs) It says, He will be filled with the Holy spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel, many Jews, to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people, make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He's going to come in the spirit of who? Elijah. Why is that significant? Because Elijah is pretty brutal. Elijah, if you remember, is the guy that called down fire, called that all the prophets of Baal be killed and slaughtered. Elijah did not screw around. Elijah was weird, odd looking, did weird miracles, brought down all kinds of craziness. He called down fire and burned up people more than once. Elijah was insanely odd. So now you have John saying he's going to be weird like Elijah. Why are we bringing Elijah into this story? Because every Jew knew that in the book of Malachi, one of the last prophets of God to speak before he went silent for 400 years, said that before the Messiah shows up, Elijah would come. Everyone assumed Elijah would just be raised from the dead or something. They didn't know how that was going to work, but that would have been weird. He's here. 
in the person of John the Baptist. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know all this? I'm an old man. My wife is old, right? Isn't it great when we notify God of the facts? I would like to heal you. God, it's pretty bad. Really? Thank you, genius. I think I'm quite aware of what the problem is. I don't need your info, right? Oh, did you read the what Encyclopedia Britannica? <laughs> what? Or did you Wikipedia that one? Okay, here's the deal, buddy. I designed you. I know exactly what the problem is. I'm telling you what's going to happen. So, needless to say, he screwed up. Look at this. How shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. Hi, dude. My name means God's super strong and he's my hero. I'm super strong. I stand in the presence of God. Are you really arguing with me? Are you really questioning me? This is a really bad idea. I was sent to speak to you and I bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. This, in other words, means this. Listen here. Son, I'm Gabriel. I'm a huge, massive angel. You dared to question me. Therefore, I think you need to zip it. So you're going to shut up until I decide you get to talk. If you are not going to listen to me, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll make you deaf too. Here's the bottom line. You're gone. I will shut you down and I will only open your ears and open your mouth when I am ready. You go, well, where'd you get that whole deaf comment? Later on in the story, when the people try to communicate to him, they sign to him. Why do you sign to a guy who can hear? That seems awfully weird, doesn't it? Why would you be signing to someone that's fully functioning in their hearing? Doesn't make sense. The word used here is used for deaf, mute, and both. God shut him down and said, I will release it in time. Watch this. It says, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Remember, they want to get blessed. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. No blessing today. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Notice he still had to work. That's a rough day. You know what I mean? If you go mute and deaf and people are like, nope, you can't clock out yet. You know, <laughs> it's kind of, well, I really think I need to go home. I have a tummy ache. Okay. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Isn't it amazing when God's beautiful plan intersects with our blessing? Most of the time, it does not. God gives us jobs and tasks to do, and they are not easy. It doesn't mean he's mad at you. It doesn't mean you are cursed. It means he's working out a different plan in you. If indeed we are here for his glory, then he is allowed to design the pathway and the premise by which he will be glorified. So I get we really want to be blessed. I get we want everything to go easy for us, but that's just not how it works. 
Turn with me. Ah, we're still in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. We have now moved 70 miles north. Everything that you just heard was down in the Judean region by Jerusalem. Our whole story moves 70 miles north where God is working in the north of Israel just as much as in the south. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, same angel, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of King David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Here's how marriages worked in the ancient Jewish world. There were three parts to it. The first thing happened was, uh, an in, it was considered an engagement period. All right. Now this engagement period was designed by the boy's parents when they got to puberty age. So it was different for all the kids. Sometimes it was 11, 12, 13, that area, that age range. The parents of the boy would go out and select a girl and talk to her family about one day those kids are going to get married. So you got to wrap that into your mind. If they could not find one, they hired a professional yenta, a matchmaker from Fiddler on the Roof, and she would orchestrate the matching. Those kids would then just go about their lives until the parents decided it was time for them to get married. When the time came, they would go into a betrothal period. It was a one year long, let's make sure everybody's legit period. It meant that if she was hooked up with somebody else, if she had started some secret life, they wanted to make sure that she was still waiting for her husband and you could tell within a year's time. It was a purification exam. If she was found not pure during that time, a number of things could happen. First of all, that betrothal period, they were known as husband and wife already. You could not break it without a formal divorce. If she was found to be unfaithful, she was to be stoned. Now, that was the ancient stance. By Jesus' time, it got a little bit more mellow and just went to divorce. Now, if you were hardcore Jewish, you would still go the stoning route. But if you were kind of mildly Jewish, you would go the divorce route. In this betrothal period is where we find this story. After the year, they would then have a marriage proper, and then she would come live with him in a house that he had prepared, and they would become husband and wife for the rest of their lives. We all tracking on that? All right. So we are in the year waiting period when all of this occurs. It says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the royal lineage of King David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, meaning Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Out of all people in the world to be selected. Here a young Jewish woman is picked out. Why? Because of God's grace and favor. Was she a good girl? The best. 
How do we know? Because when she starts reflecting on God, she knows scriptures backwards and forwards. She refers to my God, my Savior, I need God. She had a personal walk with God. Here's what we must not make her out to be. In our reaction to people wanting to worship Mary, we have slid away from acting out what she really is. She's a wonderful woman of God. And she deserves honor and blessing. Now, is she better than God? No. Does she need to be worshipped? No, all those things that go on. Was she supernaturally extra powerful and the only way to get to Jesus is to talk to her? No, all that is not biblical. She needs a savior just as much as we do. But know this, she is a great woman. And God selected her out and said, honey, I'm going to bless you. Watch this. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Do we all know that Jesus is a Greek form of the Jewish name Joshua? So it is actually Yehoshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. You shorten it to Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves, also known as Joshua. And then the Greek form is Jesus. So Jesus and Joshua are the exact same name. All right. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Who's the most high? God. If you're the son of God in Jewish mindset, sons were carbon copies of their dad. They had all the same essential parts. They were the same guy. So if you're the son of God, you were considered God. Are we all clear on how serious this is? All right. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, King David, his descendant, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Now, ladies, imagine you get a visitation from an angel. You're already freaked out. And he says, oh, by the way, you're going to have the son of God. A little heavy of a day, I would say. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Notice that she did not assume that it was going to go like Elizabeth. Elizabeth was going to have a special baby, but she was going to have it through Zechariah. Mary would have simply said, all right, let's just wait until we get married and then I'll have a baby. She knew right off the bat, this was different. So she said, uh, God, real quick question. I'm not doubting you. I just wanted to know what the process will be because I've never been with a man. There's no way I can have a baby like that. So I would love to know. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Something we must know. Have you noticed how many times the Holy Spirit has already been used? Who's writing this book? Luke. What other book did he write? Acts. Yeah. A lot of Holy Spirit. Remember that Holy Spirit all the way through. He just said, and the Holy Spirit of God will overshadow you and you will have a special child. Now, what does the overshadowed word mean? It's the same description word used for in the ancient times with Moses when God's cloud would come down over the tabernacle and God would speak with Moses face to face. It was the same cloud that descended on the temple when the presence of God was there. So that cloud would descend over Mary and once again, the word would be known. 
Ah, the Logos. Remember last time we talked? The Logos word of God would become flesh and dwell among us when that cloud lifted. How powerful is that? And behold, your relative through your mom's side, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. That's a sign to you that it's miraculous. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am your slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know how powerful that is? Here's what she just said. I'm probably going to die. God's will be done. Understand, nobody's going to believe her. You're going to have a kid. The rule goes. She knows who she married. She married Joseph. Joseph is a great guy, but he's a Jewish, Jewish guy. He's a righteous man. He's a guy that kind of goes the way and upholds the law. The law says she should be stoned to death. This is what she's dealing with. She has no reason in her mind to think that anyone's going to believe her. So she will either be killed or excommunicated. What is her response to God? Bring it. What do you got? Do you understand that Luke just matched a young Jewish girl that nobody knows with a priest and the priest doubted and the little girl didn't? Are we all tracking on how much he's highlighting? Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your title is. Are you obedient to God or not? It says, turn with me to Matthew 118. Look at what this, look at what it says here. Matthew 118. You're going to bounce back to the left in your Bibles. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew 1.18. Here's how Matthew says it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly but as he considered these things pause that word considered is a very special word it is only used very rarely and every other time that it's used it comes from the root word for wrath and rage it has a little tag on the front of it in greek that means within While he pondered these things, stewing on anger and frustration and rage, knowing that he was going to do the right thing, he would fulfill the law, but at the same time protect this girl who clearly was not who he thought she was. And if she was messed up as a righteous man, he would defend and protect her, but she was not for him. While he was so angry at how everything fell apart on him. What's the next line? Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. How about being the stepdad to a savior? Rough, rough challenge. 
Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7:14, 7, 700 years earlier. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not. The rest of the story goes like this. Mary goes down south to visit her, her uh, relative Elizabeth. You can imagine what kind of meeting that was. It actually describes it in verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Oh, that's why he needed to be, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit in utero. Because he's doing work while he's in the womb. John the Baptist, as a little guy just hovering down like this, then now knows the Lord just walked in. What does he do? Prepares the way for the Lord. Before he's even out of the womb, he starts wiggling around, right? Going, man, there he is, there he is, there he is, right? And immediately, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It echoes out, fills his mom with the Holy Spirit, and she starts prophesying stuff she doesn't even know. Man, come on, this is not regular stuff. This is all weird. I get it. A lot of us have grown up in the church and we think this is normal. It's not normal. It's all weird. And it says this, Mary begins to praise God. She prophesies, I'm overjoyed. God has looked upon my humble state, has made me honored among women. This is so awesome. He's visited our nation. Israel's no longer forgotten. How great is this? She stays with her for three months till John the Baptist is born. Then she goes back home to her house, meaning they're still in the betrothal period. Otherwise, she would go home to Joseph's house. She is still at her house. John the Baptist is born. All Elizabeth's friends, they rejoice with her. I can't believe this is happening to you. God is so good to you. And Elizabeth has a glorious day. On the eighth day, he is circumcised. They name him John. At least the mom tries to name him John. They don't believe her because they're all rude to women. And they go over to to the dad, Zechariah, and they go, what do you want to name him? He writes down, his name is John. And then Gabriel goes, that's what I thought, and opens up his ears and his mouth, and he can speak for the first time. Isn't it nice that God gives us second chances at obedience? You know what I mean? Because how many times has he asked you to do something, and you know it was him, and you didn't follow through? God comes back around and goes, hey, how about this time? You going to do it? You told me you wanted to hear from me. If you want to hear from me, then do it. What if it's embarrassing, God? What if it's not? I don't know. You're the one that told me you wanted to hear from me. I'm just talking. You going to do it or not? All right, I'll come back. Zechariah prophesies over his little boy and he says this. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit and says Israel's going to be rescued and it's going to happen through my little boy. He says four things about this kid. You will be a prophet of God. You'll prepare the way for the Messiah. 
You'll explain salvation to the people of Israel through the forgiveness of sins, and you're going to reveal the mercy of God. That's a lot of weight on a little dude. Listen. What a glorious introduction. How's it going to go? Some of you don't know this story. How's this going to happen? Who's John the Baptist? Is he going to carry out the will of God? He's six months older than Jesus. Is Jesus going to be all that they had hoped that he would be? Is he going to be what the Messiah was supposed to be in Jewish thought? Do we really have the king of Israel born at this time? How's that all going to work? I'm sure Herod's not going to be all right with that. He's the current king. Not a new king is going to come in and he's not going to worry about it. We got so many problems. Are they going to stone her? Are they going to get mad at her? Is Joseph going to protect her? How is this whole thing going to unravel? We got problem after problem after problem. Yeah, we've had visitations of angels, but all it's done is become a complicated mess. Is it going to work out? Well, that's next week.